Greetings, today's date is November 11th, 2021, and welcome to the 15th episode of the Retro Gaming Bygones podcast, titled Programming Pioneers, Jordan Mechner. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy. Sam, either termites are burrowing through my skull, or one of us is ticking. Oops, oh yeah. Max, where should I put this so it doesn't hurt anyone we know or care about? Out the window, Sam. There's nothing but strangers out there. I hope there was nobody on that bus. Nobody we know, at least. Before the age of 30 years old, Jordan Mechner had a number one game of the year in Karateka, a BA in psychology from an Ivy League university, and a future cinematic cult classic in Prince of Persia that would eventually become a long-running hit series. Jordan Mechner not only had a mind for brilliant gameplay, he was an expert in compelling storylines and adventure. We're going to cover two of his best titles, Karateka and Prince of Persia. But speaking of minds, let's exercise our... Minds before Thumbs. In today's edition of Minds Before Thumbs, we're going to take a look at a book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is the autobiographical view of the life of King Solomon. Solomon, son of King David, was possibly the most powerful educated, wealthy individual in all recorded history. It's said that he had more wealth collected per capita than any person in human history. However, the theme of Ecclesiastes is sorrow and regret. Solomon looks back at the conquests and achievements of his life and equates his efforts as vanity and chasing after the wind, regretful that his life glorified himself rather than God. He reflects back on themes of pleasure, earthly rewards of hard work, and the pursuit of wisdom. He laments to the reader that life should be enjoyed, but not sinfully. He uses his own experience as the vain backdrop of a life that has completely missed the mark despite his worldly success. His final warning is to fear the righteous God to heed his words and understand that God's judgment is due to everyone, to live for the purposes of God, and in that you'll find joy and not succumb to his pain and sorrow. Ecclesiastes 1.14 reads as follows, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. Who better than a man who has had all of the power, money, pleasure, and wisdom, and it equated all of it to, to utter vanity to help us understand that if our efforts end upon ourselves, we're always going to be unhappy. And I find that in myself. You know, I find that I'm trying to either, um, you know, I want a new house or I want to drive a new car or I want to make more money at work and I want to be more successful and people to look up to me. Well, you know what? 
if those things are predicated and they end on myself, this harkens back to putting things in order. Like the first edition of Minds Before Thumbs was talking about putting first things first. And I think that is exactly what King Solomon is stating here is that I was wealthy and I had all the wisdom in the world and I did everything that I could possibly do to please myself and it all fell short. So I recommend Ecclesiastes to anybody who struggles with success and finds themselves depressed, but also to anybody who's been striving after the acceptance of man. Look at Ecclesiastes. Then, right after Ecclesiastes, if you want to punch yourself in the face, go through the book of Proverbs. They're both amazing books. The Bible's amazing to, to start with. So, But enough out of me. Let's check out some news. And now for the news. News item number one. Supremacy 30th anniversary finally gets released for the Commodore 64. Supremacy was originally released in 1990 on the Atari ST and the Amiga platforms. And then later it would receive Commodore 64, MS-DOS, and NES ports. However, the Commodore 64 port, because the system was in this late stage, it didn't really receive the amount of character and features that the other versions did. And that's what this 30th anniversary goes about doing. It's been covered multiple times on Indie Retro News, and uh, it finally got its full release. So this is a game that I played as a kid with my buddy John, and I never really got to play it myself. Well, you know what? I think with this version, I'm going to pull down my Commodore 64 and give it a try. And I suggest you do too. News item number two. Jackal, specifically the NES version, gets an Amiga teaser. Jackal was released in the arcades in 1986. However, it saw home releases on the Famicom Disk System and NES in 1988. However, it was overshadowed by another military shooter that would go on to becoming one of the best shooters skip shooters one of the best games on the nes period and that would be contra and that's really unfortunate because jackal is a phenomenal game on the nes so what do we have here with the amiga version we have updated graphics we have updated sound we have fixed collision um detection uh we have more animations this game is looking to be promising. So you can go to Saberman's YouTube channel and check out a demo, or you could check out the coverage on IndieRetroNews.com. News item number three, Brightly Rich Chronicles gets a long-awaited release. If you've listened to the podcast, I've covered many of the Sarah Jane Avery releases, whether it's been Soul Force or Zeta Wing or one of her older titles. However... Briley Witch Chronicles is easily her most ambitious effort. It is a 20 to 25 hour JRPG in the style of kind of like a, uh, a Final Fantasy. I haven't picked up a title myself, but I've watched plenty of clips online and I plan on picking it up with my next paycheck. So, definitely, if you're a Commodore 64 fan, 
this is the this is the new hot title. Go pick it up. I will next week too. News item number four: Evercade versus gets released, and I think this news item is more of a point of contention because I have not been able to figure out what the purpose of the Evercade systems are, whether it's the handheld version or the versus system. Though this versus system does seem a little bit more well thought out than the handheld is, I'm really worried about the survivability of these platforms because none of them have true third-party developers. What you have are cartridges that are released by companies like Atari or Data East or, or Technos, and they're all compilations of their previously released hits. There are some indie companies that have put out compilations as well. However, you don't have true exclusive titles. And I think that is a linchpin for any company that is looking to break into this very highly competitive video game market. I think, for example, the only reason why Nintendo still makes hardware is because of their IPs. So something like the Evercade Versus might appeal to collectors that love to collect everything. However, I wonder if the Evercade Versus will ever see a firm hold of actual system sales. None of these consoles, whether it's the either one of them, I think they both run on the same hardware, correct me if I'm wrong, they, they, they're not high-powered anything. They're, they're running on whether it's Linux or Android, and then there's like a, there's a front end that's attached to it that reads a ROM cartridge. I'm, not, I'm pretty sure it's not a system that's continually reading circuitry on a cart like a NES or a Sega Genesis or an Atari. I think it's probably more similar to like a Retron 5 that takes a snapshot of the ROM of the cart and then runs a file inside of a, an emulator per se. In this case, you know, whatever that emulator on the Evercade is going to be. So I really wish them success, but I really hope they pursue actual exclusive titles by third-party developers. One final tidbit of news is you can catch me blather on on episode 24 of A Gamer Looks at 40 podcast with Bill Tucker. And if you haven't listened to A Gamer Looks on 40, it is definitely one of the new podcasts I suggest you listen to. It is, rather than being uh, about the game content, it is more about memories. It is more about experiences. Bill brings people onto the program, whether they're, um, whether they're Twitch streamers or um, Twitter or Instagram influencers. Bill's podcast pulls the community in and gathers their stories. It's really compelling stuff. So you should check that out. Once again, that's A Gamer Looks at 40 Podcast. I'm Kevin Nealon, and that's news to me. You're listening to the Retro Gaming Bygones podcast review of Jordan Mechner's Karateka. 
Karateka is a martial arts fighting title released by Broderbund in 1984. It was programmed by Jordan Mechner for the Apple II while Jordan was a psychology student at Yale College. The game was eventually ported to the Commodore 64, Atari 8-bit computer line, Amstrad CPC, ZX Spectrum, Atari ST, Nintendo Famicom, and also on the Atari 7800. Karateka takes place in a Japanese mountainside castle of the warlord Akuma. Our unnamed protagonist, a karateka, or practitioner of karate, is on a mission to the deepest dungeon of the castle to save the captive princess Mariko. An army of warriors and Akuma himself stand between you and your love. Your quest begins at a cliffside gate guarded by a horned warrior. The standout feature of Karateka is the realism in the main character. This realism is brought to life through a process known as rotoscoping. This process features hand-traced characters off film recorded by Jordan Mechner of his karate instructor performing karate moves such as punching, kicking, and running. This process yielded never-before-seen realism in the day's video games. And now that we've covered the history and storyline of Karateka, let's talk about my personal history with the game and then review it. I grew up with the Atari 7800 version of Karateka as a kid, which is one of the worst versions. But at that time, I'm not sure I knew any better. I played the tar out of it. And it wasn't until I played the Commodore 64 version, which even Jordan Mechner himself referred to as superior, along with the Atari 8-bit version, that I fully realized the greatness of the game. The Atari 7800 version is slow and it's buggy. Many of the elements are nearly impossible, including defending against the bird attacks in the third stage. And the sound was awful, thanks to the Atari 7800's ancient Tia chip. However, the Commodore and the Atari 8-bit and the Apple II versions are all incredibly better. The actions are fluid, sure a bit mechanical, but that's a side effect of the rotoscoping process. Graphically, Karateka has an attractive opening picture of the castle, and the mountain moves along in a parallax fashion. But the standout graphical features of Karateka are the rotoscoped characters. The graphics outside of the rotoscoped characters are slightly above average, but they're not groundbreaking. And though the frame rate is slow between 8 and 10 frames per second, depending on what is on the screen currently, the game proceeds at a satisfying rate. The graphics for the Apple II, Commodore 64, and Atari 8-bit versions are an 8.5 out of 10. In regards to sound and music, though the original Apple II, Commodore 64, and Atari 8-bit versions all had varying sound and music, none of them are really even average. The opening tune on the C64 and Atari 8-bit versions are moody, plain, and sparse. And the sound effects of you hitting characters and them hitting you are really not satisfying. It's really the only one downfall of this title. So I have to give sound on Karateka a 6 out of 10. 
in regards to gameplay. Like I mentioned earlier, the action is fluid, but kind of mechanical. Your protagonist's movements are definitely limited. He has a high, middle, and low kick and punch, as well as the ability to run. The kick has the ability to push back your opponent, while the punch can be performed while walking or creeping or while you're in your karate stance moving. Despite having the ability to run, if you were to be struck while running, it leads to instant death. And a calculated approach is required. This is no button masher. However, this game is groundbreaking for its time. And I give gameplay an 8 out of 10. And overall, that leaves Karateka as an 8 out of 10. Though the control scheme limits and kind of dates the experience, Karateka was a pioneer of its time and still delivers plenty of entertainment. It harkens back to the martial arts flicks and stories of old. If you haven't played Karateka, there's not a whole lot of official options you can find to do so at the moment. There's plenty of less savory ways to play it, but you can find unboxed copies on eBay for around 30 bucks. Regardless, you should find this game and experience it. You're listening to the Retro Gaming Bygones podcast review of Jordan Mechner's Prince of Persia. Prince of Persia is widely regarded as the first cinematic platform title. It was designed by Jordan Mechner, published by Broderbund, and released in 1989 on the Apple II series of computers. It was eventually ported to nearly every platform on the market in one way or another, whether officially or unofficially. Official console releases include the Sega Master System, Genesis, and Game Gear, the NES, the SNES, the Game Boy, the Game Boy Color, TurboGrafx-16. Official home computer releases include the MS-DOS platform, Amiga, NEC PC-9801, Sharp X-68000, the Amstrad CPC, Atari ST, FM Towns, and Macintosh. Also, unofficially, it was released on the ZX Spectrum, Commodore 64, BBC Master, and the Atari 8-bit series of computers as soon as just a month ago. Prince of Persia takes place in a Persian castle's dungeon catacomb. Once again, our unnamed hero must save the Sultan's daughter from the evil vizier Jafar, who seeks to marry the princess and take the throne. Our protagonist has 60 minutes to traverse the 12 dangerous levels of the dungeon, fight the dungeon guards, and get to the palace tower and defeat Jafar before time runs out. Jordan Mechner and his team took what great realism you found in Karateka and it exponentially expanded on it, where Karateka had a basic but compelling storyline and realistic karate movements, Prince of Persia expands on these ideas and features, fleshing out multiple characters and making their movements even more realistic. Much like Karateka's rotoscoping of Jordan's karate instructor, Prince of Persia has at least 10 times as many rotoscope character movements this time performed by Jordan's younger brother. 
Jordan's character fight animation inspiration was the duel between Errol Flynn and Basil Rathbone in the 1938 film The Adventures of Robin Hood. And the literary influence of the game is from the Arabian Nights backdrop. In 1989, the Apple II wasn't the contemporary machine of the time. And though Prince of Persia is a wonderful technical feat, it wasn't an instant success. The game reviewed exceptionally well, but did not sell well, only selling 7,000 copies between the Apple II and the IBM PC version up to July of 1990. Releasing the title abroad really got it off the ground, though. The NEC 9801 version sold 10,000 copies itself, and it funded the conversion to other platforms, which bolstered its grand total worldwide sales of 2 million copies. It's inspired numerous cinematic platformers after it, such as Another World, Flashback, and Blackthorn. Now that we've explored the details and the history of Prince of Persia, let's talk about my personal history with the game and review it. The first version of Prince of Persia I got to play was on the NES over at my good friend John's house. And though I enjoyed the NES version, I didn't really bond with it. However, I did bond with the PC version, mainly because I pirated it in the late 90s. But regardless, the game has this wonderful ad-lib sound and the VGA graphics blew my mind. And I was so excited because I discovered right afterwards that there was a sequel to the game that was already out. And it wasn't for another few years that Mechner penned the storyline for what ended up being one of my favorite PS2 titles, Prince of Persia Sands of Time. But that's for another episode. Let's review this thing. Graphically, Prince of Persia shines bright. From the opening title screen and storyline to the gameplay, the game draws a vivid picture. The advanced rotoscope characters and the artisan Persian texture of the backdrop makes this game nearly a masterpiece. So for graphics, I have to give Prince of Persia a 9 out of 10. In regards to sound and music, though the music is lively during the opening sequence, it becomes a storytelling element in the game rather than a feature. Though quite witty and poignant, it drives the story along, but it can be sparse at times. Perhaps some of the sounds are also a little understated. For example, breaking a plate, uh, the, the plate floor, um, Though it's an interesting sound, it would be more poignant if it were louder. And it could have been used for further gameplay elements, such as alerting an enemy. Some of the character sounds are also slightly rudimentary as well. But overall, Prince of Persia has an above-average soundscape, scoring an 8 out of 10. In regards to gameplay, Prince of Persia got most of the cinematic platform elements grilled out right from the start. The game does have a steep learning curve, but once you get your foot in the door, advanced moves end up not being so daunting. You'll be able to run, jump, stalk, 
hang from ledges, climb walls, and sword fight in a realism of this rotoscoped environment that sets Prince of Persia ahead of so many titles historically. It's not perfect, as some of the movements become brutally hard as they must be perfectly timed, and then also the sword fighting towards the end becomes absurdly difficult. But when you progress, you'll definitely feel the accomplishment, and I'd say gameplay of Prince of Persia is a solid 9 out of 10. In regards to cinematic platformers, Flashback was the first one I ever played. And it's one of my favorite games of all time. I was expecting less of Prince of Persia, mainly due to the time gap between the two titles. And the fact that I'm not normally drawn to fantasy games over sci-fi. I've scored Prince of Persia a 9 out of 10 though. Everything about the experience is so well thought out and expertly crafted. This is, and always will be, Jordan Mechner's swan song. It's exciting, charming, and brilliant. Today, you can play Prince of Persia on nearly every platform. Specifically, the one I've been particularly drawn to, and one you can pick up for free, is the C64 port by Andreas Varga. He goes by Mr. Sid. Honestly, it's the perfect version that never was. You can download it for free at CSDB. That's the Commodore Scene database. And you can read about its development process at popc64.blogspot.com. And with that, folks, you've wasted another 30 or so minutes of your life on the Retro Gaming Bygones podcast. If you are as inspired by the works of Jordan Mechner as I am, or if you have any other comments or questions, feel free to email me at retrogamingbygones at gmail.com or message me on Twitter at rbygones. So I'm going to go rotoscope myself a midnight snack, but in the meantime, keep your stick on the ice. Stuck in colonial times, tentacles are taking over the world, and now the toilet's backing up. Does he have any experience with electronics? Um, well, I once saw him take 3,000 volts directly through his head without batting an eye. Didn't he pass out? Well, he was already passed out when it happened. Bernard, float over here so I can punch you.